Jesus, we're asking for the release of your fullness this morning. The fullness of who you are into the emptiness of our lives. Come, Lord. I pray with the power of your word. You are the living, eternal word. Come and speak your now word into our spirit today. Lord God, we open our hands as we open our hearts. We open our minds. We open our lives. We open our spirit. Lord Jesus, we want more than just information. Jesus, we want transformation. God, we want more. We want more. We want more. Say it with me. We want more. We want more. Come on, say it with me. We want more again. We want more, Lord. We want more. We're not content with where we are. We're not complacent, Lord, with where we are. We want to press on and press in deeper. Come and speak to us today. Lord, we welcome you, Jesus, to walk in this room right now as you are here already. Be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible, please turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 12 as we continue our study entitled, titled Follow Me, which will conclude next week, and then we'll be moving into our Advent series, which is entitled Come, and we're going to be focusing together on the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to kind of backtrack to Matthew 5 and the Lord's Prayer, but um, this morning uh, we are uh, coming to a portion of this scripture that is very um, significant, as of course all of the scriptures are significant, so I sound like I'm redundant here, but, um, and, but, but a very critical, uh, particularly in light of, again, uh, the timings of what's going on around the world and uh, what we notice and things that are happening, and so um, we're looking at Matthew chapter 12, uh, 22, all the way up through 45, and uh, we're talking this morning about the, the context is kingdom conflict. Follow me, and the context here, the, the theme of our message this morning is kingdom conflict. I'm going to go ahead and read the whole passage, and then uh, we'll be referring back to it. So um, I'm going to be like solely focused this morning in this passage. So we're not going to be, often I bring in other scriptures and I may reference other things, but we're going to be keeping a laser focus this morning because we have a lot of text that we're working with and some very significant things uh, for us to unpack together. So uh, let's begin in Matthew chapter 12, 22. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man. Oh, by the way, can I back up for just one moment? Um, because uh, where I ended last week and where we um, prayed for the... Inter- International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, and I know uh, before I got here this morning there was prayer time. Um, I I have continued to be nourished uh, in a very um, deep spirit way by uh, the words that Matthew quotes here uh, from Isaiah 42. So I'm going to back up for a moment to there. Um, Verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one who I love, in whom I delight, I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out until he has brought justice through to victory in his name. The nations will put their hope. So this morning... I want us to be reminded of again, and 
the, the two words that have emerged out of this passage for me about the character of who God is, is that he is tender and he is tenacious. He is so tender towards those of us that are hurting, and he's tender towards our brothers and sisters around the world who are hurting. He is tender. That bruised reed he won't break. That smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And he is tenacious. He will not relent. It's in, in the quoting from Isaiah 42. Until he has brought justice forth. He will not give up. He will not relent. He will not falter until he has brought justice to the earth. Um, one other family note for prayer this morning, if you'd please be keeping the Hanson family, Greg and Becky, in uh, your heart and prayer. Um, Becky's uh, stepfather, who was really her father for her, her, most of her uh, life, uh, just passed away, and the funeral will be tomorrow uh, with the uh, committal on Tuesday. So please keep the Hanson family in your prayers as well. And just the tenderness of God the comfort of the Lord going out to them and to their family in this difficult time. All right, so he is tender and he is tenacious. Now verse 22, Then they brought a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. One verse, transformational to that man. Incredible. And yet, it ushers in this entire conversation now that takes place from there on out. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? We've looked at several of the titles of Jesus over the course of our study these last few months in Matthew 8 to 12. We've looked at him as the son of God, the son of man, the son of David, the servant we looked at last week. Could this be the son of God? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, well, it's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Now, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? Jesus is imminently logical. He meets them with an argument right where they're at. And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? Now he drives the argument deeper. So then they will be your judges, but, but always pay attention to those because it means that there's a shift coming in the conversation and in thoughts. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions until he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. Now the conversation shifts again. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. 
You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Now the argument shifts again. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with, for, with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south, Sheba, the queen of Sheba, will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she comes from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now, something greater than Solomon is here. And now one more shift. These are the four, so there's going to be four things that we're going to be looking at this morning. Verse 43, now, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places, seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clear, and put in order. And then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there, and the final condition of that person is worse than the first. This is how it will be with this wicked generation. All right. I'm going to give you some background here. Some of you who've been around a while, you've seen this illustration a number of times. Some of you, this may be fresh information for. For all of us, whether it's a reminder or new, let it kind of penetrate deep because this gives us the framework for what we're talking about this morning, kingdom conflict. First of all, the Bible talks about this present kingdom. This present kingdom arrived... When Satan and his, his minions uh, fell from, from uh, favor with God, fell out of heaven through rebellion against God, and then was fully established here on earth when Satan tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, and this present evil, or this present kingdom was birthed and born at that time. Now there came a moment, and we've already preached about this as we've been preaching through the Gospel of Matthew. When Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of God is here. When Jesus first came, the kingdom to come was established. The kingdom to come was established when Jesus first came here on earth. His first coming, the incarnation, inaugurated the kingdom of of God or the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom to come all inaugurated here when Jesus came for the first time. When Jesus comes again, this kingdom to come will be consummated and at that point, this present kingdom will end. The kingdoms of this earth, Revelation tells us, will become the, kingdoms of, the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he will what? Reign, how long? 
forever and ever. Now the challenge that you and I face and the conflict that we are living in is we are living in the context of the already and not yet. The kingdom of God is already here, but it is not yet consummated. And we live in that in-between place with one foot here on terra firma, surrounded by the kingdom of this age, the prince of the ruler of this age who rules over the kingdom of this age, is here among and working and moving among us. We see it, you know, the Bible talks about the three adversaries of the world, the flesh and the devil, the world system around us, our own broken flesh, and the enemy himself are working. And we see that, you know, just open the newspaper, turn on the news, you see this present kingdom or this present evil age unfolding all around you and it impacts and washes over and we're a part of this. We are in this world. And yet, the Bible says, Paul says, you are in the world but not of it. Because we have one foot here in this particular place and time in history and we are also part of the kingdom to come, the not yet kingdom which has been inaugurated. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God has come. We see it intersecting in our own lives individually. We see it intersecting in our families. We occasionally see it intersecting into our community and into the world. And we see that the power of God being manifested. We see that manifested in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, which are the marks of the kingdom. Romans 14, 17. We see it when justice gets established, when the rule and reign of the king is established, that is the kingdom to come being established among us. And you and I live between these two kingdoms, and there is conflict. It's like when a low-pressure system and a high-pressure system collide, what gets released? Energy. We see it in the form of wind. We see it in the form of lightning. When these kingdoms come in conflict with one another, you see, just as we saw play out on the news this past week and over the last months and years and actually for millennium now, we have seen this conflict unfolding. This is the kingdom conflict which you and I are embedded in. Why? Because we're breathing and your heart is beating, and you are here on earth. Okay? Are you with me so far? Everybody here? Yes? Nod your head. Everybody just say amen. Okay? That'll help me feel better. Okay, you got it? All right. Got it. Okay. You're getting it. All right. So the question that is on my heart this morning is, how does Jesus the King help us successfully navigate through this kingdom conflict. How is it that we're to navigate through this conflict between these two kingdoms? Because we feel the tension, and and so how do we move towards some kind of resolution? How How do we successfully, fruitfully, faithfully live our lives out in the context of this kingdom conflict? 
I don't know if that interests you, but that interests me. And I trust it'll interest you this morning because that's what we're going to talk about for the next few minutes. So, all right? And we're going to use our text to talk about that. First of all, you and I have to pledge our allegiance. If you're trying to straddle the fence, and forgive me for using a very word picture that will help you understand that, think about a picket fence that you're trying to straddle. That's going to cause some discomfort. But when you're trying to straddle the fence and you're trying to live your life with one foot in, you know, I mean, we are in the world, but you're trying to to sort of have this allegiance between the world, the flesh, and the prince of this world, and you've got a foot over here in the kingdom, you know, you got the Jesus thing and, and, and the kingdom of God thing going over here, and you're walking along, let me tell you, that's not going to help you successfully navigate. Jesus says here quite clearly, whoever is not with me is against me. Ooh. Whoever is not with me is against me. In other words, choose which team you're going to be on. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. So I tell you, now, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Now, down through the ages, of course, this has been, this has been debated theologically, and it has caused great angst for many a person down through the ages. I remember as a young man thinking, I was terrified that I might somehow do the unforgivable sin. Right? I lived in terror of that. But let me tell you in the context here, that unforgivable sin is simply this. It's not choosing to pledge your allegiance to the king. If you and I do not pledge our allegiance to the king, if we are not with him, we're against him. And the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not receiving, because when we receive Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us, and the only unforgivable sin is when we reject him, But even then, if we will turn, he will receive us. It only becomes unforgivable when we choose to walk in that place of rebellion and die in that place of rebellion against him. This is the sin. But it's our choice. We make that decision. God's heart and hands are open. He, that all, that none would perish. That is the heart of God. That none would perish. He loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us, that we might live. He didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to convict the world of sin and to 
and righteousness so that the world might be saved. This is his heart. So my question this morning is, have I fully committed myself to the kingdom of God? Or am I still sort of walking on the... And let's be clear. I mean, yeah, there's, there's so much here theologically that we could talk about. But I want you to know that the grace of God is greater than our sin. It is greater... Then our, you know, the, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And God is greater than our heart. So he knows our heart. He's greater than our hearts. I'm talking about successfully navigating now in the context of this tension of the kingdom conflict. And the question is, have I fully committed myself to the kingdom? And Lord, where are those places that are yet to be committed? Help me to commit myself more fully to you. And the more fully you commit yourself to him, the better you will navigate the tension. That's what I'm saying. Okay? Number two, bear good fruit. This is rather obvious, but I'm going to take a moment to, let's, let's, let's look at this a little more deeply. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, how can you who are evil say anything good for... The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings uh, things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. I don't remember who it was. I, I can't remember the, uh, the, whether it was um, Spurgeon or Finney or what. Anyway, at, at dinner one time, they were having this conversation, and this man was espousing the fact that he had come to the place of full sanctification where there was no longer anything within him that was uh, sinful in any way, shape, or form, and that he had, basically, that he had arrived. And in the middle of the meal, uh, the, 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 the pastor um, took his water glass and threw it in the face of the man. And the man got up and went, and he said, oh. So I guess the old man isn't completely dead if he can be revived with a simple glass of water. (laughs) We are saved and we are being saved. We're in the process of sanctification and transformation in our lives. But the question is, what fruit is there from my life? What are people experiencing when they are around me? I love, by the way, not just because I helped to kind of help, help discover how to articulate our vision as a church, but I love our vision as a church because, to me, it speaks of what it is to be a follower of a Christ. It says our calling at Bethel Christian Fellowship is to radiate life and joy as a house of prayer for all nations. It's that radiating life and joy that is the good fruit. You know, when people ask me, well, if there's one thing about Jesus, one characteristic about him, if you had to reduce it to one thing, what would it be? And I, my, my response to that is, Jesus is a life giver. Wherever he went, stuff that was dead became alive. So is your life producing life? Are you radiating life? Am I radiating life and joy? Remember the marks of the kingdom, righteousness, peace, 
joy in the Holy Spirit. You know, I've been in ministry 30-plus years now. 31? Yeah, 31 years. It's November, yeah. October of 80-whatever it was. I started 84. And I've met a lot of believers, and I've met a lot of believers who were baptized in lemon juice and vinegar. Right? And believe that somehow that's a mark of sanctification. Well, you know, and we all have different personalities. I understand that, and I'm not talking about personality stuff and things like that. But I'm talking about a fruit of the Spirit in our lives must be joy. You know? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. They can't arrest you for those things. Well, they might. Who knows? The day may come when they might. But there's no spiritual law against that. So the question is, what soil is my life planted in? This is critical because what you're putting your roots down into is what's going to be coming out. I want to say something, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, this is, anyway, uh, I, I won't say that. Because it's too tender and it's too close of what went on in France. But what, what your life roots are going down into is going to come out, out of your life in the branches and the fruit of your life. If you think something different, you're deceiving yourself. Right? It's the law of sowing and reaping. Whatever it is that you're, whatever soil you're, you know, if your soil is going, if your roots are going down into bitterness and ugliness and hatred and division, or your roots are going down into lust and, 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 and avarice and envy, guess what's going to come out of your life? So that's why the things that we do, they're, they're not all, you know, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial, Paul said. If you're spending hours and hours a week, sorry, I'm going to get direct, but if you're in, a, if you're in the midst of, if you're, you know, if, if your life is saturated with violence, and then you think that somehow that's not going to impact you. Or it's saturated with, you know, sexuality in such a way that's, that's you know, it's, it's going to impact your life. If it's saturated in divisive hatred, you know, whatever, those people kinds of stuff, it's going to come out. So what soil is my life planted in and how do my words and actions reflect that? Because it says here in Matthew 12, I think I just read it. Did you read it? For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words will be condemned. Ooh. That one. That one is sobering. What are my words? What's coming out of my mouth? What's coming out of my life? Bear good fruit. 
And when we do, when we bear good fruit, we show that our soil, we're kind of like, what are those, what is that, what, are the, what is the kind of um, uh, plant work that they do when they have plants that grow hanging down? What, what's that? No, no. When the plant, the roots are, when its plants are growing and the, what's that? Hydroponic. I couldn't think of it. Thank you, AJ. Hydroponic. We're like hydroponic plants. You know, there's this present evil age and the roots going, but our roots are up here and we're hydroponic. We're, we got our roots going up into the water of the spirit and into the soil of the word of God and there's something happening in our lives. You got it? All right, number three. We're almost there. Release control. Ooh, now you're meddling, pastor. Now you're meddling. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. We want a sign. We demand a sign. But he goes on here to talk about and. There's much more here, and I know there's other ways that we could look at this particular portion. But I think for the purposes of this, what, what, what impacted my heart was this question, am I willing to surrender to the one who is greater? Because, one, there's the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Listen to the Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. Something greater. And if you're going to navigate this kingdom conflict, you are going to have to ask yourself the question, am I willing to submit and surrender to something greater? I know I've shared this before, but it's been many years since I shared this. When I first got out of college, um, I, was, I was managing a bookstore. I was a literature and economics major in college, and a bookstore brought those two together. And I'm managing this bookstore, and it wasn't a Christian bookstore. It was a secular bookstore. And a woman was, came in, and she was shopping, and she was looking at this particular book, which I knew about. And she was asking about it, and I was saying, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a fine book. It, it reads well. Um, I, the worldview is something, though, that I, you know, that I really don't uh, agree with because it's, you know, it was very evolutionary and all, all kinds of stuff and things like that. And um, we started having this conversation and, and it, it, it opened up this doorway, an opportunity to share with her about the kingdom and share with her about the gospel. And, and, um, and, I told, and, and I said, you know, and when we submit our lives to Jesus, and she looked at me with this utter disdain and anger in her eyes and in her voice, and she said, I don't submit to anyone. In my heart, talk about the blasphemy of the Spirit. That's where my heart, that's that heart that will not release control to one who is great. But if we're going to navigate through this kingdom conflict, we're going to have to submit to one who is greater than we are. King Jesus, who rules and reigns in our lives. 
Am I willing to surrender to the one who is greater? And that's a process that unfolds throughout your life. You know, sometimes we think that surrender is like my my life is worth a million dollars and I come to him and I give him my check for a million dollars and here and say, I've surrendered my life to you. No. It's like he asks it from you a quarter at a time. A decision at a time. I read this this morning. I told you I wasn't going to go outside of, but I am for a moment. Sorry. Forgive me, but. Where is it? Sorry. Hold on. Romans. I know it's in Romans. Chapter 14. I knew it was 14. 7 and 8. For none of us lives for ourselves alone. Listen to this. This is Romans 14, 7 and 8. None of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Whether you live or die, whatever it is, your life, you know what? God actually believes that he owns you, and guess what? He does. He purchased you with a price of his blood on the cross. You belong to him, so do I. The question is, will we surrender to that reality? Last thing. Then it's the experiencing transformation. And this is where I talk about this a lot. I talk about not just having information, but experiencing transformation. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid paces places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I'll return to the house I left. When it arrives, if it finds the house unoccupied, say unoccupied. 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 Swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. This is how it will be with this wicked generation. Here's the deal, folks. We need to recognize, if we're going to win this, navigate successfully through this kingdom conflict, that there is a place beyond victory that's called occupation. It's not simply enough to win a victory over something in your life. There needs to be an occupation that produces transformation in my and your life. If my struggle is with alcohol, I can win a victory over alcohol. And that's a blessing. But if I'm going to experience true transformation, instead of being filled with alcoholic spirit, I'm going to have to be filled now with the spirit of the living God. That's what occupation does. It's being filled with something else. You can't simply empty out your life. You need to fill it. See, this is, the, this is the dramatic, you know, so there are people, there's kind of this, you know, part of the new age thing is, is sort of Buddhism and Christian, and you get this Christianism or Buddhist kind of thing happening, okay? And it's very, but it, and it sounds so good. We just, we need to empty ourselves. That's biblical. But where the Buddhist stops with emptying themselves, the Bible says we empty ourselves in order to be 
filled. The end is not emptying. The end of the point is filling. He wants to move beyond us, beyond simply emptying ourselves and cleaning out. Because you know what? You, it, nature abhors a vacuum. So does spiritual, in the spiritual realm, abhors a vacuum. You can't simply live in a vacated place. It's not about emptying yourselves. That's not the end of the journey. That is an important part, perhaps, of the victorious journey. But the end of that journey comes when you are occupied with something. This presence, the spirit, the living God comes. The word of God, the life of God begins to fill you. Do you get this? Does this make sense? This is so critical if we're going to navigate successfully. The question before us this morning was this. How can Jesus the King help me to successfully navigate through this kingdom conflict that we're in because we are in the world but not of the world, because the present kingdom is still here and the kingdom to come has come and and we're caught between D-Day and V-Day, as it were, in World War II terms, when more people died between D-Day and V-Day than any other time in, the wor- in, in World War II. Even though the, the victory was assured and the end was going to come, still the battle raged and people were dying and people still are dying spiritually in the midst of this battle. How do I successfully navigate through that? First of all, I must pledge my allegiance. I can't stand on the fence anymore. I've got to say whose I am and what kingdom I will serve going from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. I must bear good fruit. I must have my roots go down into soil that brings life and radiates joy. And I need to release control. If I'm trying to hang on to myself, you know, you know the old this is low-hanging fruit, sorry, but you know, you know the bumper stickers, God is my co-pilot. Uh, sorry. God's nobody's co-pilot. He's the pilot. He's not interested in being your co-pilot. Right? He's interested in being your pilot. Actually running your life. Ooh. But I'm not going to submit to anyone. Ooh. Careful. And he wants to move you. And he wants to move me beyond the place of victory to the place of occupation. Let's stand together. So this morning, if you find yourself, well, we all find ourselves, so I don't even have to say that. (laughs) We're all in the middle of this conflict, okay? There's nobody here who's exempt. So you are in the conflict. But this morning, perhaps, you find yourself struggling in the conflict, trying to figure out how to navigate through that. You've heard some practical teaching today that I trust will help you. And I'm going to invite you, not because to make me feel good, and not even to make you feel good, but sometimes when we take and actually, you know, there's nothing, I always say this, there's nothing magical about an altar, okay? This altar has been carefully and prayerfully prepared prayers for years and years and years, and when Kerry Kimmel was architecting this, he actually 
thought of this and these walls here and these benches as the arms of God coming around. So that's what they're there for. They're, they're, it's just a, a, a small physical representation of the arms of God reaching out. And sometimes you just got to walk into the arms. I, I want to share this last picture because this came up in prayer this week and I was uh, in, in uh, one of our prayer times on, on uh, Thursday and Jean and I and I don't know who else was all praying, but we were, I, I had this picture again of, of the arms of God coming out, and um, I think of myself, and it, it, he's the, the Psalm 91, under the eagle's wings, and I think of myself coming and, and lodging myself in his armpit, sorry, but I do, I think of myself just being covered there, and, and Jean shared about the, the prairie hen, who, uh, you know, she's a Wyoming girl, so I don't know if the prairie hens are out there, but she knows about the prairie hens, and the prairie hens who, when danger comes, they, they spread out their wings. They're just little birds, but they spread out their wings, and all the little chicklets come and rush into the, under the arms. And she will stand there. If there's, like, the danger is fire, she will stay there covering her chicks and protecting them, even though she is burned alive, to protect them and to save them. Jesus went to that cross and died to extend his arms around us. So this morning, if you're in the midst of that tension, I want to invite you to run to the arms of Jesus today and experience transformation and, and begin to release that control and bear good fruit and, 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 and pledge your allegiance to God. So I don't know if this is for one person or for a hundred people here this morning. I think the word is for all of us, but if you need to come today, and Tom and Kathy are right up here in front, They'd be happy. They would be delighted to pray with you. Denise Curley is right here, and Anne, and these guys are all, these ladies, my guys, ladies are here. They'd be happy to pray with you. If you just want to receive the Lord today, if you've not stepped into relationship with him, today is the day to pledge your allegiance. I don't know how your life's going, but if it's like what's going on around, things may not be going so great. It's not that they're going to get perfect when you come to Jesus, but you'll have somebody with you in the middle of that who loves you and has good plans and destiny for your life. So, all right. Take it away, James. Lead us. If you want to come, come right now. Come, Jesus. Dan just reminded me that just he was saying that before service as he was praying and the worship team was practicing this very song he heard the voice of the Lord in his own heart just reminding him of that very familiar scripture greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world and to draw on him the victor he is the victor the battle the, the, the war the, the battle has been you know, it's been won. The war is still on, but the battle has been won. When Jesus died and rose again on that cross, the battle is over. So I know you're in the middle of it right now. But just remember, the battle's been won. Even though the war goes on, the battle has been won. And keep drawing on him. Greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. I'm going to pray a benediction, but we're going to continue. I just, 
I don't know about anybody else, but I want to keep worshiping. And so we're going to sing the victor's crown in just a moment. But I know some of you are, will need to go and grab children or other things in your life that you go on to today and bless you. But I want to bless you. I want to pray a benediction over you. So if you would just open your hands right now. I pray that you'll be filled afresh this very day with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours as you go from this house to your house, sent to make disciples of all nations. Go with the banner of his favor over your lives. And until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I pray that his love and goodness and mercy will find you every day of your life. In the name of Jesus, we bless you, Lord. Come on. Would you say amen with me? Amen. 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 You are always fighting for us.